Hey, this is Virgil Sierra, lead pastor of Vertical Church in South Florida. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for connecting with us, and we hope this message encourages you and connects you vertically to God. Enjoy the message. We are now officially starting the last message of this series. So are you guys ready to hear what this topic is? What is this topic that everybody was so curious to learn about, what the Bible says? Do you want to know what was that topic that you requested? Yes? Okay, I want to hear drum roll. Drum roll. A little louder. All right. How to deal with difficult people. (laughs) That is what we're going to be talking about today, everyone. I don't know why they gave me this topic, honestly. I don't know if it was because I was, they were trying to send me some subliminal messages, but... (laughs) But the truth is, we all have difficult people in our lives. Am I right? Yes, we all have difficult people in our lives. And, um, and if you're like, no, I don't think so, hey, maybe it's you. I don't know. I don't know. But the truth is, um, whether it can be, sometimes it feels like, you know, in our families we have difficult people. Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe at certain seasons it can feel like our children are just really difficult. Or sometimes you're a kid and you're like, man, my parents are so difficult, right? Or maybe it could be your in-laws. Ooh, that's a, that's a touchy subject sometimes, right? Or maybe it's a coworker, someone you work with. And that is a big deal because how many hours do we spend at work, right? It's not like just a few hours here and there. Many times we're spending most of our time at our workplace. And so that can be hard. Or maybe it's someone at school uh, that you see and is just kind of making things really difficult for you. Or maybe a teammate on a, you know, on a sports team that you play. Or maybe it's somebody at church. At church? Are there difficult people at church? Look around and say Yes. Yes. <laughs> There are difficult people at church, or maybe it's someone you serve with on a team that you just don't understand. It seems like you see something blue, they see it red, and it's just like, I don't understand why, why we see things so differently, right? And it's complicated uh, when, we, when we're dealing with difficult people because, you know, it adds stress to our lives, right? None of us want to have to deal with difficult people, but the truth is we can't escape it. And so, I think we, it's, it's a good thing that you asked this question because we want to go to what the Bible says about how we uh, deal with difficult people in our lives. And when I was thinking about this, honestly, I, I kind of had a long list of difficult people in my life um, that I could remember. But the one that I'm going to share with you so I don't get in trouble is um, when, I first, when we first got married, Pastor Virgin and I, we, we, we moved into this apartment, a condo, and apparently the, the person that lived below us had never had a neighbor. Like the the people that lived in that apartment before were like snowbirds. So they only came, you know, two months out of the year. So they were used to not having any neighbors uh, to live above them. And all of a sudden we come in and apparently every little thing bothered her. If we closed the kitchen cabinets to, she would hear when we flushed the toilet. I mean, she was just so intense about everything. She would leave us notes on our, on our, on our door, uh, to, to the point of, you know, we tried to be as kind as possible and say, okay, I'm sorry, but apparently she had a job where she had different shifts, so then she was sleeping during the daytime, and uh, I don't know, it was kind of crazy. And it got to the point where, I, rem- I never forget this, um, Virgin, I still laugh about it, but um, she actually was like, listen, I'm not trying to be difficult, but I just want you guys to see what I have to experience. And we're like, sure. So she's like, come to my apartment, and I want you guys to see what I can hear. And we're like, okay. So we go down, 
we're sitting in her living room, like kind of awkward, right? And, and then Verge goes upstairs, and he's like, I want you to just walk around. Just walk around your house and open the... And so he went and did that, and I promise you, I'm sitting... Now it's just me and her by ourselves, kind of awkward, right? In, the, in her living room, and we're like... And I'm like trying to hear something. I'm like, like really trying, and she's just like... Oh, you heard it? You heard it? And it was like this tiny little like creak of something, right? I was like, yeah, I, I heard it a little bit. She's like, he's probably just really tiptoeing around. I'm like, you know, he's a big guy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see him tiptoeing around, right? So she just really made it really difficult, you know, when we, we finally left our apartment. We, we just were so happy to not have to deal with, you know, a, such a picky, picky neighbor. Um, and so the truth is sometimes we have situations like that, right? People that kind of make our lives uncomfortable, make our lives difficult. And sometimes we can think about everyday conflict, but I want to mention that that's not what we're going to be focusing on today. Because honestly, when I was preparing for this message, I think we can go in so many different directions. And the truth is we all deal with conflict because we're people and sometimes we have differences, right? Sometimes, you know, a person says something in the wrong way, or sometimes we can get offended, but I'm not really focusing on those situations. Um, that's something that we should all learn about, and I actually want to mention that we did a series two years ago on conflict resolution. I think it was a three-part series. Excellent message. If you guys want to learn more about res uh, what the Bible says about conflict resolution and you're kind of walking through that season right now, I encourage you to uh, check that out. But today, I really want to focus not so much on that everyday conflict that, you know, sometimes a person may do something. I'm talking about those people in your life that are just like just really difficult, right? People that are very critical. Maybe somebody who's hypocritical. They say something to you in your face and then they say something else behind your back, right? Or maybe those people that are very controlling and manipulative and they're just wanting to control everything and manipulate situations. Or maybe it's somebody who's just really egotistical, right? That everything is about me. Or people that are liars, people that are greedy. Some people just seem to thrive off of drama. Am I right? Some people just seem like they, like they, I think that maybe they think they're being followed by a secret camera and they want to be in a Spanish telenovela, right? Like a soap opera. Like everything is a drama. Like everything is big and over, you know, over the top. But the first question I want to ask is why? Why are there difficult people? Like why? Why couldn't, don't, if you're honest, like you're probably thinking, why can't everybody just be like me? Right? I'm so easy. Like do you think that to yourself? You're like, if everybody just was like me, then this would be so much easier, right? Well, that's not the truth, right? We're all different. And we have uh, so many differences. We have different backgrounds and different personalities, and we have different experiences, and we have different ways of seeing things. And sometimes our differences can really cause difficulty. But I think that um, beyond that, we have to remember, number one, is that we, have, that we live in a fallen and sinful world. That's the number one reason why there are difficult people. None of us are perfect, as much as we would like to believe that we are, right? All of us can be difficult sometimes. In Ecclesiastes 7.20, you guys can turn to it or, or follow up on the screen, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, it says that out a single person on earth is always good and never sins. I'm going to read that again. It says not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. So none of us are perfect, None of us can say that we've never sinned or have never offended others, right? And Romans 3.23, I think maybe many of us have heard this or know this Bible verse. It says, for everyone has sinned and we fall short of God's glorious standard, right? The only one that is perfect is God. The only one that was perfect on this earth is Jesus. 
And so the truth is that maybe we're thinking of someone, when we think, oh, a difficult person, somebody comes to mind. The truth is that maybe we're the person that comes to mind for somebody else, right? If it's the person next to you, do not look at them right now. Just look at me right now, here. Don't look, don't look to the left or to the right, right? <laughs> we're not going to tell anybody. So why are there difficult people? Number one, because we live in a fallen and sinful world. And number two, because the enemy of our souls is constantly attacking relationships. He's constantly attacking relationships. And why? Why does the enemy constantly attack relationships so much? Well, first, because we are relational beings, right? We are created in the likeness and image of God. Even our God is a relational God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a relational God. And so we live in relationship with people. We're even, I mean, unless we are like in Tom Hanks and Castaway and we're living on a deserted island, we are dealing with people at all times, right? Whether it's our family, the people we live with, we are extended family, right? Uh, we have also friends, we have coworkers, uh, there's people that we just do life together. And so relationships are very important. And because they're so important to us, the enemy is constantly attacking those relationships. He's trying to bring division right? He's trying to highlight our differences and make it seem like they're so, I think most of us have more things in common than we have that are different, right? But he wants to highlight those differences. And the enemy is constantly sowing seeds of rivalry, right? Like, oh, can you look at that? Look what that person did or look what they said now and look at what, who do they think they are, right? So constantly trying to sow those seeds. And many times we feel that that difficult person is our enemy. Like they are out to get us. Like they are out to get us. But the truth is, is that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Look what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 says. I'm going to give you a minute. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. That's in the New Testament. Who remembers what kind of book Ephesians is? It's a letter that who wrote? Paul. Paul. Okay, good, good. It's a letter that Paul wrote. It's an epistle to the church in Ephesus. And so that's why we see so much, of, uh, so much instruction for the Christian church we see in the New Testament. But we're going to go to Ephesians 6, towards the back of Ephesians, verse 12, and it says, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. God's word tells us here that we have an enemy that is not flesh and blood. As much as you think that it's that coworker or it's that kid that sits in your, you know, next to you in math class or, you know, the person, that person in your family that's just so difficult and you feel like they're out to get you, the word of God tells us that we are not fighting an enemy that is flesh and blood. It is something very spiritual. Our enemy is Satan. And I think that when we think about our lives and we consider those greatest joys, those greatest moments of happiness in our lives, it's a result of relationships, right? Just think, just pause for a moment. I want you to think about those happy moments in your life. Most of them, I would say, are a result of our relationships. But at the same time, some of our greatest wounds and our greatest hurts and our greatest struggles also are from relations, relationships, right, out of relational conflict. And so the way that you and I choose to handle conflict makes a big difference. It's difference on how we live our lives. And so as I was studying this about dealing with difficult people, you know, I just came back to this, this, uh, this thought that most of us deal with difficult, like we're already dealing with difficult people, like whether 
whether you realize it or not, you're already dealing with it because we all have difficult people in our lives. It's just how are we dealing with it? Is it God's way or is it our way, right? And so by nature, by human nature, I think that as, as people, we either respond in two ways whenever there's a, a difficult situation. And so this graphic, I think, is going to help us understand it a little bit more. We either fight or flight. Have anybody heard of that? Fight or flight response? Okay, so fight or flight response is like sociologists have studied and they just think that um, just as human beings, we have this natural response. Have we put up the, the, the picture yet? No? Um, we have this natural response and it's going to be, I'm either going to fight or I'm going to just flight. I'm going to run away. I'm going to escape, right? Whenever we feel attacked, whenever we feel threatened, whenever we feel um, offended, we can either, our nature is going to do one of these two things, right? And so let's talk a little bit about fight, right? Boxing gloves on. And I think that the, you know, just with the word fight, we automatically think of like something physical. We're going to get in a physical fight. And honestly, that can happen. You know, that's the extreme, you know, extreme um, point of fight where it can be a physical fight. But I want to mention that it's not necessarily physical fight. It can also be fighting with our words, right? Using words to hurt others and attack others. It can be our tone of voice, raising our voice, yelling, insulting. Uh, that is a form of fight. But it can also be the silent treatment, right? I think that sometimes people use a silent treatment to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to punish you. You did this to me. And I'm not going to talk to you, right? And so I think that it's important to really consider how, how do I punish others when I'm mad at them? Think about that. That's a, that's a hard question to ask. Is, is there like a technique that I've mastered? I don't know if that's something to be proud of, right? But I can say that I think I've mastered a few. I'm just like, Lord, help me because I'm really good at some of these, <laughs> right? Uh, by nature, I personally am more of a fight person. There's a conflict like let's put on the gloves and let's fight it out. But that is not what Jesus wants us to do, okay? And the other one is escape. And maybe it's, especially to those that are fight, like if you know your fight, raise your hand. I want to see who, who are the fighters. Okay, all right, all right, we're on it. Sorry. Okay, how many are flight? I run away from the conflict, Yeah. All right, some people did not raise your hand. You're one of the two, but it's okay. Maybe you're still figuring it out, right? And sometimes if you're flight, you're thinking, oh, like, you know, I mean, if you're fight, you think, oh, flight, you know, they're, they, they're, 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 it's better because they're just running away from the problem. They're not, at least they're not fighting about it. But the truth is that's not going to resolve situation either, right? They either avoid the situation, you're either ignoring it, or you're just denying it. Like, oh, no, no, they didn't do that to me. No, like, no, no, there's no conflict. Every Butterflies, rainbows, oh, there's a, there's a, oh, let's go out to eat. And you just kind of ignore the elephant in the room, right? And that doesn't resolve the situation either because sometimes we begin to harbor that offense in our heart. We, we begin to minimize it and we're pretending that we're really not hurt. But the truth is we are. There, there has been an offense, right? And so we get, begin to harbor that in our heart. And the truth is that neither of these responses are going to bring a resolution or going to change the situation and much less help the other like, difficult person change. But the Bible does have a lot to say about how we treat others. And there's so much in God's word about relationships and how we interact with others. And, and in Proverbs specifically, there's so much wisdom. There's so many golden nuggets about how we, um, how can we have practical ways of how we respond to others. I love Proverbs 15.1. You're not going to read it up here. And, uh, but basically it says that a gentle response can calm an angry person. Just a gentle response. Something simple. But that is what God's word tells us. Jesus teaches us throughout the, the Gospels that we are to love God above all things, right? And then he says that we are to love our enemies 
and our neighbors as ourselves, love our neighbors as ourselves. But I think that that's much easier said than it done, right? Do we agree? Right? I think it's easy to be loving to those people that are nice. It's easy to be loving to those people that are kind and people that agree with us and people that kind of see things our way. It's easy to be loving to those. But to love difficult people, that's a higher standard. But then the question is, well, what does it mean to love a difficult person? Does this mean that I have to allow people to mistreat me? Does it mean that I have to be best friends with these people? Like, or the person that mistreats me, am I supposed to be, like, best friends and we're, like, going to share, like, a little heart bracelet? I mean, what is that, necklace? <laughs> let's, go to, let's go to God's word today and let us um, examine what does God's word say about how we can love others and how we can have that balance of grace but also truth. So let's pray as we get started and just prepare our hearts for what God has for us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for this day. We thank you that we can come to you in all situations, Lord. And, and there's so many questions we have as we walk through this life, so many difficult things that are confusing and we don't know the answers. But our desire, God, is to honor you and um, as your children, I pray that you would help us today understand what your word says and how we can not just be hearers of your word, but God, how we can apply it to our lives and how we can be doers of your word and how we can honor you in every area. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So how do we deal with difficult people? The truth is, is that you and I have a choice. We have a choice on how we respond. Okay. We, ha we have a choice on how we respond. And look what 2 Timothy 2 verses 23 to 25 says, it says, again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. There it is. Be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change the, those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. So who is the one that does the changing of the hearts? What does it say right there in verse 25? It says, God, God will change those hearts. And sometimes we think it's up to us. We're going to change them. Like we're going to show them, right? But God tells us here in his word that we are to be kind, that we're uh, to be patient with difficult people, and that we shouldn't be involved in foolish or ignorant arguments that start fights. And so I want to just share a few truths with the, with the time that we have remaining. I want to share some truths from God's word that I believe are really going to help us in just a practical way in dealing with difficult people. So are you ready? Yes? Okay, number one, realize that you can't please everyone. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. Realize you can't please everyone. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Wow. Paul says it very clearly there. I think God's word is very clear. And he is basically telling us that, you know, hey, if we're trying to win the approval, if we're trying to, you know, get everyone to like us and please everyone, we're not going to get anywhere because it is literally impossible to please others. And I can share with you guys and be honest that, that this is an area that was very hard for me. I think growing up, 
I don't know if it was my personality or what it was, but I had this desire of just making everyone happy. I wanted to make sure that, you know, that everyone, that I could do everything in my power to please others. And I learned very quickly that that is just exhausting. It is exhausting and it is impossible because as soon as I please this person, this person is going to be upset with my decision. And then I try to fix this person, and then that person's upset, right? And it's just, it just brings a lot of confusion and a lot of, a lot of stress. And um, this is not what God is calling us to do because it's impossible to please others. He is calling us in his word to please him. And I think this brings so much freedom because sometimes difficult people in our lives are very demanding, right? And they're demanding of us to try to please them, try to give them what they want, right? And so maybe in our heart, we, we feel like it's being kind. We're like, well, I have to be kind. I have to be loving. I love Jesus. I'm a Christian, so I just need to please them all the time. But I want you to know that God's word tells us here that we are not to please people. We are to please God. Now, if I can, you know, if I have uh, the ability to help someone or serve someone or do something for someone, well, let us do it. But at the end of the day, I know that I have, you know, there's only so much that we can do right? And we can do our best. And, and the rest, the most important thing is that we can know that we are pleasing God in how we live our lives. Number two, this is a very important one, is set healthy boundaries. Set healthy boundaries. Do you know that even Jesus set boundaries? Jesus being God in the flesh, living here on earth, right? He set boundaries as well. And so we read in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 37, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone, Jesus, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. Where have you been? Jesus, come on, let's go. Everybody's looking for you. And, and we see here in this, in this portion of scripture that Jesus modeled a life that had boundaries, he knew that he needed, even though there was people seeking him out and wanting and needing something from him at every, every moment, he took moments, and you see it throughout the Gospels, that he took moments to be alone with the Lord. Sometimes he would get on a boat and just kind of be alone with the Lord there, or he'd wake up early in the morning, but he needed to set healthy boundaries. Think about the example. I'm sure if you've ever been on an airplane before, before the airplane takes off and they give you those emergency instructions that many times we're like not paying attention to, right? I'm sure we all have heard the part where they say, you know, in case of emergency, if the oxygen mask falls or drops, what are you supposed to do? Put it on yourself first and then you can help others if you're traveling with a child, right? Why do they say that? Well, they understand that in order for us to be able to help others, we need to be healthy first, right? We can't help others unless we are uh, at a in a place where we're breathing and we can help others. And so in the same way, if we are not healthy, how can we expect to help other people? And so that's why it's so important to set these boundaries. And so there's three different types of boundaries I want to talk to you about quickly. The first is time boundaries. Time boundaries. So all of us have 24 hours in our day right? There's nobody here who has 25 or 26 or even 30. All of us have 24 hours in our day and we all have seven days a week. And so we choose how we manage that time and how we allot that time. And we need time to sleep and time to eat and time to work and time to play and time to, you know, be with our family or our spouse. Like there's, we have to choose how we spend that time. And sometimes there are difficult people that seem to think that you don't have limits on your time and that you should answer the phone every time the phone rings and you should respond to that email immediately and that you should be able to be at their beck and call whenever they, they need you, you should be there. And so it's important that even though, yes, we are to love, 
we also, it's, it, we can say in a loving way, I'm so sorry, I, this is time that I'm having dinner right now, or right now, this is my time with my family. But we have to be able to, nobody else is going to do that for you, right? So you have to learn how to set healthy time boundaries for yourself and understand this is the time I need to work, right? This is the time I need to sleep. This is the time I need to, to eat. Sometimes people aren't, don't even have time to eat because they're constantly just going, going, going because everybody's demanding something from them, right? So it's important for us to help set healthy time boundaries. The next uh, limit, or I'm sorry, boundary is resource boundaries. We all need to have healthy resource boundaries. And I think this one's a lot easier to understand, but you know, we don't have an endless amount of resources. We have a certain amount. And sometimes there are difficult people in our lives that demand of our resources. They know or they want, there's something that they know that we have that they want, and then they're constantly asking for it. And yes, we are supposed to give to others, but remember that oxygen mask goes on yourself first. So you need to make sure that you're healthy and you have what you need because, um, you have to set those boundaries because some people, other people will not respect those boundaries until you set them. And it is not unloving or unselfish to set those, okay? So we need to understand that. And then finally, I think this is a, a very important one, if, if not the most important, and I think it's the hardest one for us to recognize, is that we all have emotional boundaries. We need to set healthy emotional boundaries. And what does that mean? It means that just in the same way that we were talking about our resources, you know, I think we all can understand that I wouldn't give my bank account information or my debit card to everyone that needs it because, oh, well, you need some. Oh, here, here, have it, right? Because guess what? Before I know it, I'm going to look at my bank account and what's going to be there? Empty, right? Zero. We can go bankrupt, right, if we're not careful with our, with our finances. And so in the same way, emotionally, that we are not limitless in our emotional capacity. We all have a certain capacity, emotionally speaking. And so sometimes there are people that are constantly asking for us or pulling from us or draining us emotionally, maybe spiritually, maybe relationally. They're draining us. And we have to understand that we also have to set, it is my responsibility to set my boundaries in, for my emotional health, for my relational health, for my spiritual health, because all of us are human beings. All of us have limits. All of, us, all of us have a capacity in this area of our emotional, um, you know, our emotional capacity. And only God is limitless. It's not being selfish to tell somebody, you know what, I'm so sorry, but I, I can't have this conversation right now. Or I'm, you know what, I'll give you a call next week. Because sometimes people, it seems that certain people are, uh, the difficult people, right, are sometimes not recognizing that we have those boundaries and are just constantly demanding, demanding, demanding. And, and, and we have to recognize that we are not God and that only Jesus can fill their needs, right? So number one, what's our number one? Re realize that you can't please everyone. Number two, set healthy boundaries. Number three, don't be easily offended. Don't be easily offended, that's another one that's, that maybe we've, we can say, oh, yeah, I've heard that. That's good. We shouldn't do that. But to actually practice it is so much harder, right? Look, what, look at what Proverbs 19, 11 says. It says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. And we live in a world that offenses can happen anytime and anywhere, right? Whether you're at home 
with your family and people that you love. There can be an offense. Somebody can say something that can really hurt you. It could be at work. It could be you're driving on the road, minding your own business, you know, jamming to your music, and somebody cuts you off, and all of a sudden there's, there's an offense, right? It could be somebody's bumper sticker, and some, you get offended by what somebody's bumper sticker says, right? It could happen virtually online. Somebody posts something on their social media, and you're just like, what? Were they saying that about me? What, why did they, what did they say? Oh, really? Let me tell them what I think about that comment, right? Hey, let's go back to what it said in Timothy. Let's not engage in those foolish arguments that are not going to get us anywhere, I honestly, I don't understand how people get into those debates online where they're texting, like, where they're commenting back and forth and like destroying, like just trying to, they're so offensive. And I'm just like, everybody else can see this. <laughs> like everybody else can see, and you're not going to get it. Like, I don't think anybody's ever been in an argument online and said, oh, that is a great point. I'm going to change what I think now because of what you said, right? Everybody wants to stand their ground. And so I think it's very important that we um, are that we are um, examining our hearts, right, in our lives and, and understand that, that offenses are going to come. Jesus said it, offenses will come. And there's two types of offenses that I want to mention quickly. There are some offenses that are really intentional. Like, I want to hurt you, and so I'm going to say something to you that's going to insult you because I am upset at you. That is a direct, like, I'm intentionally offending you. But then there's other offenses that are on accident. Like, maybe I was just having a bad day or something happened, and I said something, and, and you took it the wrong, like, you thought it was for you and, and you, and you were offended by it. You were really offended, but it wasn't my intention. Does that make sense? So there's two types of offenses, and the truth is that none of us are God, so we don't know people's hearts. So I would recommend that in those situations when there's an offense, bring it up in a loving way. Pray about it. Don't do it out of emotion, but have a conversation and say, hey, when you, know, when you said this, you know, what did you really mean? Because this is kind of how I took it. And most of the time, I'll tell you, most of the time, there'll be an opportunity of like, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Or there'll be an opportunity for reconciliation. But either one of those options, whether, I mean, those situations, whether somebody offends you intentionally or somebody accidentally offends you, either way, it's still an offense, right? And so it's up to me to deal with that offense. And so I have to choose if I'm going to live offended, I'm going to hold on to that and harbor that, or am I going to give that to God? We have to be very careful um, because sometimes it's not even something personal and we're just constantly taking offenses. Somebody did something to somebody else and I take it on as if it was for me. And that's what the enemy uses to cause the, those things in our hearts. Number four, never retaliate. Never retaliate. When we're dealing with difficult people, never retaliate. So I want to share with you guys a quick story that I'm not very proud of, but it's very true. Um, back when I was in sixth grade, um, there was a teacher that just really pushed my buttons. Like, I don't know what it was about this teacher, but I just felt like she was doing everything to annoy me, to like, just, I, I didn't like the way that she led the class. Just for the record, I was not a Christian at this point in my life, and I did mention to you guys that I was a fighter. So that's all I'm going to say. So, um, uh, or I am a fighter, but anyways, you know, Jesus is working on me too. Um, so in this moment, I was in this class, I actually remember her name, Mrs. Finkelstein. If you're out there, so sorry for this. Uh, but Mrs. Finkelstein was in sixth grade. She was like so excited. She was this new teacher, and she had come in. And you know what I remember now is that she took the place of another teacher that I loved. Like it was an awesome teacher that everybody loved. And then for whatever reason, he left, and, and like it was like the beginning of the school year. And so she comes in, and it was she was like the complete opposite of this guy. You know, just the way that she ran her class. It almost felt like she was treating us like kindergartners. And I was a sixth grader, you guys. Like I'm in middle school. I'm not in elementary school anymore, right? So I was like, I expect to be treated as a sixth grader. And I felt like she treated us like little kids. I just didn't like how she, how she led her class. But one day, 
I mentioned also that I was a people pleaser, so I was always a very good student. And, um, you know, all the teachers usually loved me. And all of, one day, Mrs. Finkelstein, uh, she had this thing where she would ask the class, who wants to write on the board? Every day she'd say, who wants to write on the board? And then everybody wanted to write on the board. You know, that's always fun, right? And then she would give somebody the opportunity, and then she would ask questions throughout the class. And whoever raised their hand and got the answer right would get, like, a pencil or a sticker or an eraser. And so that was always fun. So that, that caused there to be a lot of interaction and engagement in the class. Well, one day... We were in class. I'd like to say I was minding my own business. And for whatever reason, she, either I was talking or something happened. And she says, oh, just let, you, oh, let me write your name on the board. And she like turns around. And I remember her writing my name in cursive on the board. And I was like, oh, no, you didn't. Like, you're putting my name on the board? Like, what? Like, I... And I almost wanted to defend myself, but it's like you're in class, so I'm not going to, I was like, I was just helping the kid, he dropped his pencil, whatever, but she, you know, whatever, so I just kind of stayed quiet, but I was like starting to like boil inside a little bit, and then, um, you know, she continues teaching, and then all of a sudden, another kid asked me like, oh, hey, what'd you get, or ask me a question, or why is your name on the board, and I remember I was literally telling this person, the kid, listen, I can't talk, I'm going to get in trouble, and she turns around when, I, when she sees me talking, she's like, oh, you're talking again? check mark next to your name and she puts a check mark next to my name okay that was very difficult for my ego and I was like oh she don't know who she messing with so what did I do so of course I'm not gonna fight with her in class because I mean you know my parents raised me right so I didn't argue with the teacher but I was like I'm gonna retaliate I'm gonna retaliate and show her that you don't mess with me because I'm a sixth grader. So that, so when we finished class, I don't remember how it started. I don't even know if I had it planned, but I end up starting to talk to the teacher. I'm like, can you believe what Mrs. Finkel sees? Because that's another way that we retaliate. We start gossiping and talking about the other person because we don't want to talk to them directly. So we tell, so everybody else is on our side, right? We're the victims. Can you believe what Mrs. Finkelstein did? She put my name on the board. Like, can you, can you, can you imagine? I was just, and so we're just, I start, and I start telling everybody, okay, from now on, nobody raises their hand in Mrs. Finkelstein's class. Nobody's going to write on the board. And then every, I don't know how, honestly, <laughs> but like they did it like they didn't they they like listened to me and so like the next day in class Mrs. Finkelstein's like all right she used to call us kittens all right kittens and I was like maybe that's what annoyed me I don't know but she was like she's so sweet I'm so sorry Mrs. Finkelstein okay so she was like all right kittens you know who wants to write on the board today and like the class was like dead silent nobody raised their hand and she was like Oh, and so she just picked somebody, and then, like, throughout the class, like, she'd ask for a question, and nobody would raise their hands. And I was like, yes, in your face, lady, in your face. <laughs> well, I know it's kind of funny, but it's sad. I know it's really mean. I'm sorry. This is bad. This is my, this is, this is confessions right now. This is therapy. <laughs> Well, the sad part was that at, towards the end of the week, so you know how you, in middle school, you change classes, but our group, we always went with the same group of students. And so we, um, I was in my science class, which was the end of the day, and the teacher, we walk into class, and the teacher's like, what did you guys do to Mrs. Finkelstein? She was crying in the lounge today. Can you guys believe, I felt so bad in that moment. I was like, oh, wow. Like, I thought I was just, you know, going to get back at her for writing my name on the board, and it, like, took it way too far. <laughs> way too far. So I, I don't even think I apologize, but I maybe told the class, okay, guys, we can start raising our hand again. You know, we can start raising our hands, you know? <laughs> so all of that to say is that's what you don't do. You do not retaliate. And this is what you do do. Let's read first Peter. Do do. I just, you know what? Okay. First, that's a Pastor Verge joke. <laughs> Sorry. First Peter 3.9. First Peter 3.9. It says, don't repay evil for evil. 
Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing, okay? Don't replay evil for evil. Don't retaliate, but pay them back with a blessing. Look what Matthew, I want you guys to turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. We're going to read 37 through 45, and I want you to read along because this is a long portion of scripture, and, and it's just really powerful. This is Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, in verse 38, it says, You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. So different, right? Our ways are so different than God's. Jesus is saying that we are to love our enemies. That we are supposed to pray for those that persecute us. And you know, when we begin to pray for people that are hurting us, that are difficult, we begin to see them in a different light. We begin to see them through God's eyes, and we begin to have a compassion for them. And we begin to realize that, you know what? It's not my job to defend myself. God is God. He is my defender. And if someone is doing me wrong, God will, God will deal with them. It's not my job to defend myself. And I can tell you that from... That just laying back in sixth grade, however old I was, to, to who I am now, I can, I can tell you for the God's glory that I have gone through even more difficult situations, a lot harder than somebody just writing my name on the board. People who have really hurt me and offended me, tried to manipulate, betray me, spread lies. about I mean, there's just diff difficult things that I've faced. And I can, I can tell you that because of what Jesus has done in me, I did not respond by my nature, which would have been to fight and retaliate and insult. But I was able to give them to the Lord and trust that God is my defender, and I have, seen, I have seen God's faithfulness through that. And so I want to encourage you with that. Number five, release them to God. How do we deal with difficult people? We release them to God. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So God is not going to be mocked. He sees, he sees all of our lives. He sees our hearts. And it's not our job to uh, try to control or um, have justice, right, for, for someone. Just release them to God because God is the only one that can change them. And we have to allow the Lord to fix and work on them just like he's working on us. And some, many times we need to release them. We need to, many times the difficult people in our lives are people that we love very much and we're scared to let them walk through consequences that we know are gonna hurt them. But that's part of releasing them to God as well. It's saying, you know what, God, I can't fix them. I can't change them, but I'm gonna release them to you and I'm not gonna try to rescue them when they make a mistake. I'm gonna let them feel the consequences of their decisions because you reap what you sow, right? And then when we do that, we're recognizing that Jesus is the Savior, that I am not the Savior, right? Jesus is the only one that can, that can transform, that can lift up. And so many times we can do our part. I can do my part to help. But once a person, 
you know, doesn't want to hear it, doesn't want to, doesn't want to receive that help, it's my job to release them to the Lord and to trust that God loves them more than I do, right? And God sees them and God knows them and God will work in their hearts. And finally, number six, how do we deal with difficult people? We walk in forgiveness and freedom. We walk in forgiveness and freedom. Ephesians 4.32 says, and I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Version. And by the way, um, there's so much in the, in the letters that Paul writes to the church in the New Testament. There's so much instruction about how we are to live life with one another. And there's so much here. I honestly could share so much. But um, this chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, powerful chapter on how we are to live our lives. And so I encourage you this week, go over Ephesians chapter 4 a couple times. Probably won't take you more than five minutes to read it, if that. But read it because there's so much instruction and so much wisdom there on how we are to relate and, and how we are to live with others. But I just want to focus on verse 32, and I'm going to read you for the Amplified Version. You can read it up on the screen. It says, Be kind and helpful to one another, tender-hearted, compassionate, understanding, forgiving one another readily and freely, just as God in Christ also forgave you. You know, when we deal with difficult people, we're probably going to have to do a lot of forgiving. And I think that many times it's difficult for us to forgive because we have the wrong idea of what it means to forgive. We think that to forgive, that person needs to apologize. But that's not what God's word says. Forgiveness is a matter, it's, 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 it's up to me to choose to let go of what that person did and that offense and give it to God. Sometimes we don't forgive because we think that in order to forgive, it means that I'm minimizing that offense, right? Or, or pretending that it didn't happen. And that's not what forgiveness is. It's I'm choosing, even though I know this was wrong and it was not okay that they did this, I'm choosing to forgive them. Now, it's very different. Um, forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Because just because I forgive somebody doesn't mean I need to let them have access to my heart in my life because if that person hasn't recognized that the way that they're treating me is wrong then it's it's foolish of me to continue opening up my heart to them right they're going to continue trampling it over and over again so so it's important to understand that forgiveness is something that we are asked to do because we are Christians because we've received we've received God's forgiveness and so we are to offer that same forgiveness to others whether they apologize or recognize it or not and that's not easy to do but through Jesus it is possible. Now, reconciliation, that's when there's a, you want to restore a relationship that has been fractured or broken. That requires two people. So forgiveness only requires one. It only requires you to make that decision that I'm going to choose to forgive regardless just because God forgave me, so I'm going to forgive others. But reconciliation requires two people. It requires that person that offended me to say, you know what? I'm wrong. I should not have done that. I see how I offended you. I'm not going to do that again. And let me do, let me, let me, let me work at this relationship and let's try to rebuild this. So when there's that type of uh, response, then there can be a reconciliation, right? It, it might be slow, but it can happen. But it's very different than a person who doesn't recognize that they've offended or that they've insulted or that the way that they've, you know, behaved is, is, is not appropriate. So I want to say that neither of those, two, so, so forgiveness and reconciliation are two separate things, but both of them are loving. I can choose to love and forgive someone and still not have those healthy boundaries. I can still have those healthy boundaries and not allow them that access in my heart, right? Because we need to protect ourselves. The Bible says we need to guard our heart above all things. And so 
as Christians, I think we should be, you know, what it means to be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ. And we should become, we should become experts in forgiveness and asking for forgiveness and offering forgiveness. And even though um, it's, it's difficult, I think we can just ask God, Lord, help me with this difficult person, right? The only way that I can do that is remembering how much you've forgiven me. And because you've forgiven me so much, I choose to forgive others and live in that freedom. Because when we have unforgiveness in our heart, we're not walking in freedom. So God many times will remind me and say, you know what, Jesus, then you will never have to forget, forgive that person or anyone really for that matter more than I have already forgiven you. And when I remember that, it's a lot easier for me to open up my arms instead of keeping them closed, right? Because if God has opened up his arms to me, how, how am I going to close my arms to someone else? So to conclude, we all have difficult people in our lives and it's hard. It, it just brings an additional stress and tension in our lives. But God's word gives us the, the instruction and the wisdom on how we can handle those situations. And through the power of his spirit, he can help us to, to handle those situations and how to manage them in a way that honors God. You know, um, sometimes if we just give a little more patience and have a little, get, get some time, like actually are intentional in spending some time to get to know someone, we begin to understand them a little bit more and we begin to see why it is that they are so difficult. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but you begin to see them through different eyes and you're like, oh wow, well this is what they've walked through. Maybe this is why they're acting this way, right? And you begin to have more compassion and more grace. Remember that with God, all things are possible. And it says in God's word that, um, that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When I am weak, he is strong. And he is there for us to handle those difficult situations, those difficult people, those difficult relationships. He's there to guide us through that. Amen? Amen. So let's take a moment and pray. Let's just pray that God would help us walk in his truth and that he would give us that compassion and that grace and that wisdom on how to handle those those people in our lives that, that are difficult. Lord, we come before you right now and we give you thanks, Jesus, because your word is so good to us, Lord, and you, your ways are so much higher than ours, God. Forgive us, Lord, for dealing with people that are difficult in ways that do not honor you, that do not glorify you, when ways that we've tried to retaliate or tried to fight back, or maybe we've tried to escape and ignore it, but really we're harboring that in our hearts. God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the strength to choose, to, to, to forgive, to love, but also to set those healthy boundaries, God, in our time, in our resources, in our, in our emotions, and that you would give us the grace to, to point others to you, Jesus. God, we want to honor you in every area of our lives. And we know that your word says that other people will know that we are yours because of the way that we love one another. So help us, God. We need you, Jesus. We cannot do this in our own strength. We thank you, God, because you are near and you, you are our helper. And we can lean on you, Jesus, to transform us and make us more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to the Vertical Church Podcast. And thank you to all of you who give generously to this ministry. You make this ministry possible. 
you can always give online by visiting us at verticalchurch.com. And if you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, rate it, share it with your friends, and you can also share it on social media and tag us at vertical underscore social. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.